Bob Berg is a sought-after speaker at company leadership and sales conferences, sharing the platform with everybody from today's business leaders and broadcast personalities to even a former U.S. president. Bob is the author of a number of books on sales, marketing, and influence, with a total book sales of well over a million copies. His book, The Go-Giver, co-authored with John David Mann, itself has sold over 950,000 copies and has been translated into 28 languages. His and John's newest parable in the Go-Giver series is the Go-Giver Influencer. Bob is an advocate, supporter, and defender of the free enterprise system, believing that the amount of money one makes is directly proportional to how many people they serve. He is also an unapologetic animal fan and is a past member of the board of directors of Furry Friends Adoption Clinic and Ranch in his hometown of Jupiter, Florida. Enjoy. So what inspired you to write the Go-Giver series, um, in particular, Go-Givers Sell More? Well, the original one, which was the uh, parable, the, the first one, was sort of an offshoot, I guess, from my original book, which was called Endless Referrals, Network Your Everyday Contacts into Sales. It was a, a how-to book. It came out in the early to mid-90s. Uh, it was really for entrepreneurs and salespeople who, who knew they had a great product or service. They knew it brought great value to their customers, but they may not have felt comfortable in the process of um, cultivating the relationships that lead to direct business and, and referral business. So it was really a, a how-to book. The, the major premise of endless referrals was that all things being equal, people will do business with and refer business to those people they know, like, and trust. So throughout the years, I'd read a lot of parables and always enjoyed them. Uh, parables, which are stories, uh, I think they connect on more of a heart-to-heart -heart level, as stories tend to do, as opposed to how-to books. Don't get me wrong, I love how-to books. Uh, I read them all the time, um, and they're very valuable. But something about a parable just really kind of connects. And so I'd always enjoyed them, and I thought, what if we could take the, the major idea, the know, like, and trust, from um, endless referrals and build a parable around it. So in coming up with the, uh, the name, the title, I thought, okay, well, what is the major characteristic of a person who is able to cultivate, I would say quickly and sustainably cultivate those no like and trust relationships. Right. And it's that they're givers. They're, they're always looking for ways to give value to others. And so it was easy to come up with the title the go-giver. By the way, the go-giver is not opposite of a go-getter. We love go-getters too. <laughs> go-getters right. take action, right? Without, yeah. without action put into the mix, nothing's going to happen. So we always say be a, a go-getter, a person of action, and a go-giver, someone focused on creating value for others. Just don't be a go-taker, right? Those right. are the people who feel entitled to take, take, take without having brought value to others or given value to others. So, um, so came up with the title, The Go-Giver. Best thing I did for the, for the book though, was to ask John David Mann to be the uh, co-author and, and lead writer and storyteller, because he's a brilliant storyteller. I'm a how-to author. So it was, a, <laughs> right. it was a good collaboration. So that's what led to, to The Go-Giver. So regarding Go-Givers Sell More, uh, what happened was, uh, you know, because it's a parable, you can't really, you can go, you can, you, it's, it's more of the, what do you have, the 30,000 foot view, if you sure. will. 
but people ask, well, you know, so how do you really take the, the principles, the laws from the go-giver and apply them to everyday uh, uh, sales? Mm-hmm. And that's why we we came up with the with the the book Go Givers Sell More as as sort of an application base from the Go Giver. Gotcha. And when you talk about things like endless referrals or selling, it it's funny. But when you talk to people about sales, the first thing they say is, "I need to sell better, but I don't want to be salesy." Mm-hmm. Or there's almost like this barrier. Um, kind of holding people back from seeing sales as a noble thing. Oh, absolutely. So I guess for, if you could tell us where does that come from? Where does the, the sleazy salesman stereotype come from? And then how do you help people to see that it is a higher calling? Well, selling brings with it many misperceptions. Uh, for example, that if you ask a lot of people what they think selling is, they'll tell you that it's trying to convince someone to buy something they don't want or need. And of course, that's not selling. That's called being a con artist, mm-hmm. right? Which is not <laughs> selling at all. Um, selling by definition, and this is in, in answer to your question, how do we really help people see what selling really is and that it is a, a higher calling? By definition, selling is simply discovering what the other person wants, needs, and desires and helping them to get it. When you look at sales that way, now you know you can now you can you, you can take a lot of pleasure in being a sales professional. You know, the 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 ancient uh, the old English root of the word sell is salan, which literally meant to give. So when you're selling, you're literally giving. Now, someone might say, well, isn't that just semantic selling, giving? Uh, and I would say, I don't think so. And the reason why is, let's say you are in front of a, a prospective customer or client, okay? So you are in the selling process. Well, you're selling. What exactly are you giving that person? I suggest you're giving them time, attention, counsel, education, empathy, and most of all, great value. So when you're selling, you are literally giving. And, uh, you know, I think anyone who has a, a product or service they believe in should feel great about what they're doing and calling themselves a salesperson or a sales professional. Got it. Yeah, and it's funny because it seems like that's such a, a barrier to to helping a lot of entrepreneurs take that next step and mm-hmm. you have your, your hand in the entrepreneurial world. What do you think is, and it's interesting because the economy's obviously shifted past five, 10, 15 years. There's a lot of people who do nine to fives, but they also have side hustles um, or, or, you know, a, a second job that they've created. So what do you think is one of the biggest mistakes entrepreneurs make today? Like when you see it, you just shake your head and go, Oh, if I could fix this one thing. Well, I think it's an I focus or a me focus, okay, and instead of an other focus. The, the basic premise of the go-giver itself is that shifting your focus from getting to giving. And when we say giving in this context, we simply mean constantly and consistently providing immense value to others, understanding that doing so is not only um, uh, a more genuine and pleasant way of conducting business, it's the most financially 
profitable way as well. Not for some woo-woo way out there type of reason, but yeah. it actually makes very logical sense. Why? Because when you're that person who can take your focus off yourself and place it on making another person's life better, people feel good about you. People want to get to know you. They like you. They trust you. They want to be a part of your life. They're much more likely to want to be in a relationship with you, to do business with you, to tell others about you. So, you know, I'll often, when I speak at a sales conference, I'll begin by, and I, I say this in a joking way, not in a dogmatic fashion, I'll say, nobody's going to buy from you because you have a quota to meet, mm. right? You know, nobody's going to buy from you because you need the money. And nobody's going to buy from you just because you're a really nice person. <laughs> They're going to buy from you because they believe that they will be better off by doing so than by not doing so. And that's the only reason they should buy from you or from me or from anyone else. So it goes back to what's the biggest mistake any entrepreneur or salesperson makes, thinking that this person's gonna buy or do business with them for any other reason than that they, the customer, feels it's in their best interest to do so. And that's interesting. So you're saying that there's, rather than seeing the economics and I guess, so I guess there's economic norms and there's social norms, right? Like, so for example, the, the salesperson is trying to make a living, right? And you're kind of saying that rather than seeing the making a living and per, being a nice person or connect, putting somebody else's um, interest ahead of yours, they're complementary rather than Absolutely. The, the treacherous dichotomy or the false dilemma, right, the unnecessary use of the word or, is that there is some kind of dichotomy between doing well for the other person and doing well for yourself. There's no dichotomy. You cannot do well for yourself in a, in a free market-based economy, that is, which we mainly live in. Sure. Uh, all of us, I guarantee we do business in a free market in terms of no one's forced to buy from any of us. So the only way we can do really, really well financially is by providing great value to a whole lot of people who choose to do business with us. So if we're focusing on the money, it's probably not going to happen because that person's going to know that's what we're, we're doing <laughs> since that. It's only through bringing immense value to another human being that we end up serving our own needs as well. Could you talk about maybe an experience you've had where you have worked with a client, you clearly understand their needs, they trust you, you know they probably would buy from you, but what you have to offer, you know would not be ultimately what they need. And so you, you ultimately have to refer them to somebody else. What is that, I guess, what's your guidance when salespeople come into that a uh, particular situation. Cause when I've in, in my own coaching business, I've had families who I've had to tell, look, I, I have to refer you. And in the moment it kind of stinks because you're like, Oh, like that, that could have helped with the groceries this week. But um, what's your take on, on that when you've kind of, when you have to refer your clients to somebody else to make their, to meet their needs better. I think it all is based upon your value system. If mm -hmm. your value system is I'm only going to do what I know is in the best interest of the client then when someone comes along who is not, you know, is not someone you can serve uh, in a, you know, in a, a way that, that um, 
allows you to be able to take them up, then you would refer them up. That doesn't mean it's, it feels good to do that necessarily. It, it feels good in terms of we know it's the right thing to do. It doesn't feel good in terms of when the groceries need to be, but you know, we, I don't want people to be in that position either. I, there's no reason why you should be, I want people making a lot of money so that they don't have to even be uncomfortable by turning business away. Uh, but you know, again, does that ever happen when you're first starting in business or at certain times in business? Sure it does. And then you've got a decision to make, but we, we know the right decision is if you're not able to provide the necessary value to a person, uh, then you, you refer it. Sure. You have this one chapter in go give or sell more. And I think it, it has to do with competition or when somebody brings up a rival business or, or operation to you. And I, I see this as one of, especially with my experience as a, you know, a, a coach and a trainer and, you know, it can be really Nietzsche and tribal and all this stuff. What's your take on how you're supposed to talk about your competition? Well, first, you know, when you think about it, if you down talk your competition, never mind just because doing so is, is just the wrong thing to do, but, sure. but just in terms of business, if you down talk your competition, that tends to not build you up in the eyes of your prospective customer. They become very suspicious because if you will down talk your competition, it means you first probably don't have the confidence in yourself. Okay. Right. Uh, it also shows a lack of character and people by and large, they're not going to trust people who they see as with a lack of character. Um, and so it's, you know, it, it's just not something that is, is going to work out for you to do that. And now I'm talking that, and that's just in terms of, um, just in terms of rational self-interest, <laughs> don't do it. But the real reason is, is because it's just not the right thing to do. To, to down talk your competition. It actually makes you look good when you can compliment your competition. Or at least, I mean, if you really feel this person's a real, you know, weasel, you can't, you can't do that, then of course you don't, but you just, you're very generic and you don't, but you still don't put them down because it's just, it's gonna make you look bad. Sure. Okay? But the best thing to do is have a healthy respect for your competition and say something kind and edifying about them. That actually makes you look better uh, because only competent people uh, do things like that. And typically only competent people are successful. So they see you more as being successful because you do that. Right. Yeah. And I think it, you know, again, like what, what's nice about the go-givers, you kind of take these unwritten rules that we all kind of you know, we think it's normal to trash talk your competition. You guys invert them, invert these rules and say, it actually makes no sense. Uh, it actually makes more sense to have it this way. Okay. And I think one of the, one of the things I, I loved in at the start of the book was you talked about how, look, you don't make a sale happen. You can't close a sale. Um, so what do you do then? Yeah. How do you sell without quote selling? Cool. Make. Well, okay. Well, first you don't sell without selling. You do sell, but see, we look at sales. Like when someone says, you know, sell, but yeah, you're not really selling You're serving or you're helping. Well, we consider that selling. Mm -hmm. So it always goes back to the premise. It always goes back to the definition. If you see selling as again, discovering what the other person needs, wants, and desires and helping them to get it, then by doing it the right way, you're selling. So, so we use the word selling as a, as a righteous term. 
uh, again, the opposite of selling would be being a con artist, right, or being a thief. So, so when we say, uh, so, but I think what the person means is, how do you sell without sounding stereotypically salesy <laughs> or pushy uh, or sleazy or scuzzy and all that, right? Okay, right. so, <laughs> um, I, so when we say you can't make a sale, here's what, here's what we mean, that you can't make a sale because you can't make someone buy from you, okay? So you can't make a sale. What you can do is you can create the environment where that person trusts your judgment, feels good about you, understands the benefits of why it's of your product or service and why it's in their best interest to to purchase from you and they decide to buy you don't make the sale you receive the sale now one could say just like with that the what we were talking about earlier isn't that just semantics you don't make a sale you receive a sale maybe that is semantics but sometimes semantics are important, not only in what you tell others about what you do, but in what you tell yourself about what you do. Because you see, if you feel, if you believe your job is to go out there and make the sale, then it's about you. If instead you feel your job is to simply create the environment where it's all about them, okay, now you're focused in the right direction. Gotcha. Yeah. And I think that's, again, it's like shifting it from the salesperson quota to actually meeting the needs of who you're trying to serve. Do you feel that there's a, I guess it's almost the flip side, you know, like you've, when I talk to other business owners, they almost struggle with having a sense of authenticity um, that for, I guess, as, as you reach higher and higher levels of quote unquote success, do you find, or in your experience, have you found business owners, maybe they're not struggling, maybe they're actually quite successful, but they have, they're struggling with um, almost feeling like they deserve success. Like, um, so for example, I guess that comes from this question, like, um, you know, you have this thing called the law of authenticity, which says the most valuable gifts you have to offer somebody is yourself. Can you discuss what you mean by that? Yeah, well, in the in the story, in the original parable, Deborah Davenport, who was the uh, the mentor in that in that part, she uh, shared a, a lesson she learned in her sales career, which was that all the skills in the world, the sales skills, technical skills, people skills, as important as they are, and they are indeed very very important, they're also all for naught if you don't come at it from your true authentic core. Now, when you do, when you, as we like to say, show up as yourself day after day, week after week, month after month, people feel comfortable with you. They feel safe with you. They know who they're getting, right? They, they begin to know you and like you and trust you and they want to be a part of your life. They want to see you succeed. Um, it's just so much more uh, beneficial to live and conduct business authentically. But here's the issue, because there are people who, who don't show up authentically and, and we think, well, why don't they? Are they 
dishonest or are they crooked or are they trying to, eh, it's a big world. There's lots of people out there. So that's certainly a possibility, but not usually. 99.999% of the time when someone does not show up authentically, it's because they don't have the self-confidence to do so. They don't truly recognize their value is what it comes down to. And let's face it, it's hard to show up authentically when you don't feel you have anything authentically valuable to show up for. I think as human beings, we all have two types of value. We have intrinsic value, which is just by the fact that we're born, we're here, we bring value to the table as a person. But we also have something I call market value. And I define market value as that combination of strengths, traits, talents, and characteristics that allows you to bring value to others in such a way that you'll be rewarded, whether financially or through uh, promotions or through whatever it happens to be, okay? We all have these. Some of us are outstanding in one real big area that give, you know, others are, don't. We have what uh, Dilbert columnist Scott Adams calls a talent stack, where we're not necessarily the best in any one area, but we have maybe three areas where we're pretty good, but you put those, you, you know, you stack them, you put them on top of each other, right? And you become very effective. You can add great value to the marketplace. We all have these strengths. However, because we're human and we're so close to themselves, to put this in, in language you would certainly relate to uh, uh, as an athlete and as a, an athletic coach, we, we kind of judge others by their highlight reels and we judge ourselves by our blooper tapes. <laughs> I right? like that, yeah. And um, and, and so it can be difficult because we're so emotionally close to ourselves. And so it's easy to, you know, not really get our true value, feel like a phony, even if we're not, or maybe so. <laughs> right. yeah. But when that happens, that's when we kind of devalue ourselves. And so right. we, we really need to be able to, to understand the value we bring to the table. And sometimes that takes a coach to do that or a mentor or sometimes just a sales manager or a friend or someone. So it's good to get together with someone and, and uh, several others and uh, you know, who you feel close to and ask them to share with you those, those, again, strengths, traits, talents, characteristics that allow you to bring value to others. Do you feel like, and I see this, to, I mean, maybe it's more with smaller businesses. You obviously have more experience than I, but do you feel that entrepreneurs or business owners struggle to separate their self-worth from their performance, from their business performance? So for example, if you had a great sales month, you're a great salesperson. If you have a bad sales month, suddenly you're a bad person. I don't know about bad person as much as, you know, failure or, <laughs> or what have you, you know what I'm saying? Because what we hold to be of, of value in ourselves that, you know, that's what we, we judge ourselves against that. Sure. So, yeah. Yeah. So that, that can certainly happen. And of course we need to work on not letting that happen. <laughs> we can all have a bad month. It doesn't make us uh, less of a, of a person. It just means that, you know, we had a bad month. Sure. <laughs> So knowing what you know now, I mean, you've, you've obviously had a lot of experience knowing what you know now, what would be one piece of advice you would have wished you had given yourself when you had first started in business? Oh, that one, that one's so easy for me. I, and this goes back to what I would have said to myself at 20 or 22, maybe even up to 24, 25 years old. And it would have been Bob, it would have been young Bob Berg, shut up, 
and listen more because you don't know what you don't even know what you don't know <laughs> because I was fairly certain that I had everything figured out at that age that I understood human nature what what drove people how business worked, how life worked. And it reminds me of that old saying, it's attributed to Mark Twain, although there's no, there's no proof he ever actually said this, but a lot of things that are considered very wise are attributed to either Mark Twain or, or uh, Ben Franklin, right? But, but, uh, but so Twain could have, it sounds very Twainian uh, or Franklinian, but, but it, it was like this, Twain apparently is says, supposedly said, uh, it ain't what you don't know that gets you into trouble. It's what you're absolutely positively sure you do know that just ain't so. Mm. And that's how I was. And it was only when I kind of figured out that I didn't have it figured out and became a student of life that things started to turn for me. Was there a particular, so I, when I interview uh, NFL guys, it, it's always fun to ask them, you know, do you have a favorite failure? that at the time stunk, but then set you up for later long-term success? Well, I, I think it, back in the mid to late 90s, as the internet was starting to take off, and to show how, how great a business forecaster I am, uh, I, I predicted that this internet thing would never actually catch on. So <laughs> <laughs> now, uh, and, and by the way, that is pretty congruent with how I am in certain ways because I'm not really someone who, who gets trends, who, who sets trends or who um, recognizes them quickly. I'm typically not an early adapter. Uh, you know, different people have different, different things and different ways about them. So, but uh, I tend to be one who's a really good systemizer after it's already there, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so with the, the internet, this internet thing, I didn't want it to catch on because I had a really good business going at the time. It was very successful and lucrative. And it's like, oh, no, I don't want the, this, this computer stuff, uh, this technology stuff. Sure. And I made a big mistake. I let my, my feelings about that control my actions. And I, I kind of said, well, I've got, got my clientele. They're not going to, you know, and it ended up really hurting me because I fell be, I got behind the curve and uh, I was not up to date and caught up and a couple of clients were lost. And all of a sudden I was in a position where I had to basically start my business over and rebuild it. Uh, and, and, and here's the thing. It's not a matter of whether you like change or not. You know, sometimes in the, in the personal development field, there are certain um, certain attitudes or things that are said. I call it the personal development political correctness, where <laughs> everything is supposed to be great and wonderful and fantastic. So in other words, change, change is great. Embrace change, love change. I hate change, <laughs> okay? And so, I mean, I like to figure out something, get it done, do it, get successful and just keep it the same way it is. But that's not real life. That's not true. That's not the way the world works. And so it's not a matter of whether I liked change. I just had to accept change and go with that change and learn what I needed to learn to keep me up to date. That was a lesson I relearned because I knew that lesson. I shouldn't have had to, to relearn that. I knew that. But I again, I let my feelings control my actions. 
and that's never a positive thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it, it's, especially when you're, you know, a new business person, it's really easy to let your emotions kind of shade how or how you view everything. Um, last couple of questions. What's your, other than your own books, what is your favorite and or most gifted book and why? Uh, it's a book by a man by the name of Harry Brown, the late Harry Brown. It's called The Secret of Selling Anything. And uh, this is this was published posthumously after he passed, I think in about 2008. He actually wrote this back in the mid-60s. It was two manuscripts he never even meant to publish. His, his widow, Pamela, found them after he, he passed. One was a very short, I think it was because he was writing this for his sales team, but one was a short report basically on understanding human nature. The other short report was on how to tie human nature into sales. Harry Brown was a wonderful man. He was a, a great man. He wrote actually a number of best-selling books on economics, on philosophy, on, on um, poli uh, uh, politics. A wonderful guy with a, a deep understanding of and respect for human nature. He was the kind of guy, he, he understood truths, he lived in truths. He didn't let those limit him. He utilized them in order to propel himself and others forward. Um, and so this book, uh, uh, Mrs. Brown, uh, uh, I don't know how she found this, this person, but it was a, a publisher. It was a guy who was a direct response marketer who published the book under the title, uh, which this person made up called The Secret of Selling Anything. By the way, the secret itself is find out what people want and help them get it. That's the big, that's the secret. Right. It is an absolutely, to me, beautiful, beautiful book on really understanding human nature. And my feeling is, you know, if, if, if you understand human nature, you're nine steps ahead of the game in a 10 step game. If you don't understand human nature, you're always going to be in complete wonderment of, of as to why people do the things they do. Sure. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I think it's, it's funny because we'll, there's all this new technology out and we think everything is changing, but really our, even though it's 2020, our biology is still 2020 BC. You know, we're all cave people with iPhones basically. Um, favorite success quote. I would say it's Zig Ziglar's often misquoted quote, which, which correctly is you can have everything in life you want. If you'll just help enough other people get what they want. Gotcha. And then what would be one action you would implore listeners today to take on their own go-giver journey? Well, I would say to apply the laws and, and don't, don't think too much about it and certainly don't think about having to do them perfectly, but just go out and apply them. Remember what we talked about earlier, without action, nothing happens. So the best thing we can do is to, to take those laws and, and begin to apply them right away, just as, as Pindar in the original story told Joe, apply them that day, that night, before you go to sleep, make sure you've taken some action on each of those laws. Thanks for listening to the Coach K Hill podcast. If you liked what you heard, please feel free to share it on any social media platform or leave a review on Apple iTunes. It really helps a lot with spreading the word. And thanks for your time.